brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360. Brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline. Brought to you by Pfizer. Making a difference. Brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight. Brought to you by Pfizer. Early start. Brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett out front. Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. This weather report brought to you by Pfizer. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Criminal allegations relating to Pfizer's allegedly illegal promotion of various drugs, most notably Bextra. In a combination civil and criminal settlement, Pfizer has agreed to pay $2.3 billion, the largest health care fraud settlement in the history of the Department of Justice. Uh, within that $2.3 billion is a criminal fine of $1.195 billion, which makes it the largest criminal fine in history. When a drug is marketed or promoted for non-authorized so-called off-label uses, uh, any use not approved by the FDA, as was the case here, public health may be at risk, and there's a real danger for patients that the medical providers who prescribed the medicine or the device aren't provided with, don't have full information about the drug's risks and benefits. The people that provided you with the drugs did not have a full list of the drug's side effects and benefits or whatever they just said. And these are the people that are mass advertising and sponsoring every TV show in the mainstream media, five big media conglomerate company world that control all the news and information you get to hear. And uh, so, how does that make you feel? You have any faith in Pfizer and the Pfizer vaccine? Now that you have a little background information on the history of this company. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Andrew for America. This is the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. This is episode 71. And today I'm gonna cover a lot of stuff. We're gonna go, we're gonna kind of jump around a bunch of different topics just because I got a lot of clips I want to play for you guys and a lot of stuff I want to talk about. I got a picture I kind of want to paint for you about uh, the present and the future here in not only the United States of America, but the world. So we just got done. I just got done playing a clip for you, the Pfizer gag clip again. Obviously, they're um, sponsoring every mainstream media news show out there, seems. And then uh, I rolled that right into... The press conference of the largest criminal settlement in American history fallen at the feet, the fault fell at the feet of Pfizer. <laughs> the fault fell at the feet of Pfizer, the biggest criminal settlement in American history for selling off-label uh you know, medicine, different uh, pills and whatnot, selling it for non-prescribed, uh, non-FDA approved, allegedly, reasons. And I've made the argument repeatedly, this is the company that's mass marketing and mass promoting the vaccine. So, 
Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe the Joe Rogans of the world that are smart enough to go and look at the therapeutics and the prophylactics that have actually worked. Dr. Zelenko from uh, Israel, I believe, treated over 7,000 patients with the Zelenko protocol successfully. So if you believe, my fellow Americans, that the only way to treat this COVID-19 pandemic is to get vaccinated against it, you are flat out incorrect. And that's just all there is to it. There are ways to get around COVID. And once you get those natural antibodies, I mean, that's the money. That's what everybody uh, claims. They, You know, some people, like uh, Joe Rogan said, when he got it, he was like, I was kind of like relieved that I got it. And a lot of people feel that way. They just want to get it so they can fight it and beat it develop the nat- the natural antibodies against it just like every other viral infection that the human race has ever been up against regardless uh, regardless of the severity of that and i i just find it very fascinating that you can see the concerted effort to nope don't go look for those therapeutics and those prophylactics just get vaccinated and you got the government in bed with the whole plan. Hey, America, just go get vaccinated. Just take a simple shot. You don't have to worry about your health. You don't have to worry about your lifestyle. You don't have to worry about the cancer-causing, uh, cardiac, uh, you know, arrest issues, whatever, that you could get from your lifestyle and the shit that you eat, your food, that they're also trying to get into and pull the nutrients out of. Codex Alimentarius, we've been over that. All this stuff, is a there is a big, big plan by the big club. And I'm just going to continue to illustrate this to you. If you get smart, you might be able to find ways around some of this stuff. You might be able to take a safer path. And you can only discover that if you seek out that path yourself, right? Why can't we all do what Joe Rogan did? Granted, he has a lot more money and a lot more access probably to certain things that maybe not all of us do. But that doesn't mean you can't go looking for it. If you want ivermectin and you can't get it prescribed by a doctor, I'm sure there's ways to find it. There's ways for you people to go out in the streets and find heroin and cocaine and acid and weed and fentanyl and everything else, right? It's not like there isn't a black market for this stuff. So, I don't get it. I don't understand why such a focus has been put on this vaccine. It's, it's, there's really only like one reason why. And the reason why is because all these companies that are in bed with government stand to make a fucking shitload of money off of your gullibility, naivety, stupidity, laziness, lack of awareness... Lack of desire to seek out and discover true new information. Etc. 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 I want to read a little bit from... There was a recent Atlantic uh, Magazine article. And... Let me read this little beginning part. So the title is... America has lost the plot on COVID. We're avoiding the hardest questions about living with the coronavirus long term. 
Sarah Zhang reports. So she's a reporter reporting for The Atlantic. And I'm going to read this little blurb that she has here. At first, we were going to vaccinate our way to herd immunity. But vaccinations in the United States have plateaued. Then the Delta variant and waning immunity against transmission meant herd immunity may well be impossible even if every single American gets a shot. Experts tell Zhang that the United States needs to decide what level of risk it can tolerate if it's going to establish a clear plan out of the pandemic. But the level of COVID-19 risk we can live with is also not an entirely scientific question. Zhang writes, it is a social and political one that involves balancing both the costs and benefits of restrictions and grappling with genuine pandemic fatigue among the public. Even when the coronavirus is endemic, it will still make people sick and will still cause deaths and hospitalizations. That means we might consider strategies sustainable over the long term. Better ventilation, for example, can make indoor spaces safer against all respiratory viruses, not just COVID-19. Even without mask mandates, people who feel at risk can still voluntarily mask up. America should also pay attention to the people at greater risk of contracting COVID-19, including those who are poor, who are less likely to be able to work from home, and who are less likely to have space to isolate from their family at home. Hard questions lie ahead, and the answers require political will. And we're going to be talking about political will, or lack thereof, a lot today in this episode. But first, we have to stop avoiding them. We need a goal. Zane continues at the link in our bio. And so then she goes on to say, We know how this ends. The coronavirus becomes endemic and we live with it forever. But what we don't know and what the U.S. seems to have no coherent plan for is how we are supposed to get there. It seems like there's no end in sight. Right? And then here's another little clip that she says, What will life look like in the next weeks, months, and even years? How do we manage the transition to endemicity? When are restrictions lifted? And what long-term measures do we keep, if any, when we reach endemicity? And, excuse me, and then she says... Are we still trying to get a certain percentage of people vaccinated? Or are we waiting until all kids are eligible? Or for hospitalizations to fall and stay steady? You know, what is it? What is the plan? What are our goals? What is the roadmap? How does it look like step by step, piece by piece? Anybody talking about that? My fellow Americans, you hear anybody talking about that? The path ahead is not just unclear, it's non-existent. We are meandering around the woods because we don't know where to go. And that is a little scary as far as I'm concerned. 
it looks like there's no end in sight of this pandemic. And a lot of us have been saying ever since day one of this pandemic that we're not going back to normal. The leader of the World Health Organization, Tedros, I played a clip for you in a previous podcast. He said, we aren't going back to normal. Don't be looking for it. This has been the plan all along. I've been saying it. Many people like me have been saying it since the, since the, the beginning, since, the very, since day one. We're not going back to normal. This is going to be something that we are going to have to live with in one way, shape, or form forever. And people, there's more coming. There's more coming. And you know why there's more uh, potential pandemic pathogens on their way? The reason is because, you know, I've been talking about Rand and Fauci's little exchanges quite a bit. I played you guys some clips from them. Uh, here and there along the way, you know, chronologically as they kind of happened. But right now, I'm going to bring you all up to speed. If you uh, have forgotten the Rand uh, Paul, Senator Rand Paul, and doc, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci exchanges on the Senate floor, I'm going to play for you an eight-minute clip right now that is the money. This is, out of all the speculation and all the rhetoric that you know, anybody has been saying about this pandemic, especially Rand Paul and Fauci here over time. This is the summation clip that should put it into perspective for all of you. So if you have not listened to this exchange yet, go grab a beverage. Uh, don't allow yourself to be distracted for these eight uh, plus minutes and just listen to what these two gentlemen are saying to each other. And if you want to know why there's, it looks like there's no end in sight and there's no plan in place, it's because of what Rand Paul is about to accuse Anthony Fauci of. He says, you know, the, the first step to pro solving any problem is to recognizing that there is one and saying that there is one. Remember from the clip from the newsroom, the most honest three minutes in television history? Uh, McAvoy's character at the end says the first step in solving any problem is recognizing that there is one. And then he says America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. Remember that? Okay, so with that in mind, take a listen to this exchange and pay very, very close attention to the points being made. Here we go. Senator Paul. Dr. Fauci. I don't expect you today to admit that you approved of NIH funding for gain-of-function research in Wuhan, but your repeated denials have worn thin and a majority of Americans, frankly, don't believe you. Even the NIH now admits that EcoHealth Alliance did perform experiments in Wuhan that created viruses not found in nature that actually did gain in lethality. The facts are clear. The NIH did fund gain-of-function research in Wuhan despite your protestations. You can deny it all you want, but even the Chinese authors of the paper, in their paper, admit that viruses not found in nature were created, and yes, they gained in infectivity. Your persistent denials, though, are not simply a stain on your reputation, but are a clear and present danger to the country and to the world. As Professor Kevin Esfelt of MIT has written, gain-of-function research looks like a gamble that civilization can't afford to risk. And yet here we are again, 
with you steadfast in your denials. Why does it matter? Because gain-of-function research with laboratory-created viruses not found in nature could cause a pandemic even worse the next time. We're suffering today from one that has a mortality of approximately 1%. They're experimenting with viruses that have mortalities of between 15 and 50%. Yes, our civilization could be at risk from one of these viruses. Experiments that combine unknown viruses with known pandemic-causing viruses are incredibly risky. Experiments that combine unknown viruses with coronaviruses that have as much as 50% mortality could endanger civilization as we know it. And here you sit, unwilling to accept any responsibility for the current pandemic and unwilling to take any steps to prevent gain-of-function research from possibly unleashing an even more deadly virus. You mislead the public by saying that the published viruses could not be COVID. Well, exactly no one is alleging that. No one is alleging that the published viruses by the Chinese are COVID. What we are saying is that this was risky type of research, gain-of-function research. It was risky to share this with the, Ch with the Chinese and that COVID may have been created from a not-yet-revealed virus. We don't anticipate the Chinese are going to reveal the virus if it came from their lab. You know that, but you continue to mislead. You continue to support NIH money going to Wuhan. You continue to say you trust the Chinese scientist. You appear to have learned nothing from this pandemic. Will you today finally take some responsibility for funding gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator, with all due respect, I disagree with so many of the things that you've said. Gain, first of all, gain-of-function is a very nebulous term. We have spent, not us, but outside bodies, a considerable amount of effort to give a more precise definition to the type of research that is of concern that might lead to a dangerous situation. You are aware of that. That is called P3CO. We're aware that you deleted gain of function yeah. from the NIH well, website. Well, I can get back to that in a moment if we have time. But let's get back to the operating framework and guide rails of which we operate under. And you have ignored them. The guidelines are very, very clear that you have to be dealing with a pathogen that clearly is shown and very likely to be highly transmissible in an uncontrollable way in humans and to have a high degree of morbidity and mortality and that you do experiments to enhance that. Hence the word EPPP, enhanced pathogens of potential So when EcoHealth Alliance took the virus, SHC-014, and combined it with WIV-1 and caused a recombinant virus that doesn't exist in nature, and it made mice sicker, mice that had humanized cells, you're saying that that's not gain-of-function research? According to the framework and guidelines. So what you're doing P3. is defining away gain of function. No. You're simply saying it doesn't exist because you changed the definition on the NIH website. This is terrible, and you're, you're completely trying to escape right. the idea that we should do something about trying to prevent a pandemic from leaking from a lab. There's, the preponderance of evidence now points towards this coming from the lab, and what you've done is changed the definition right. on your website to try to cover your ass, basically. 
That's what you've done. You've changed the website to try to have a new definition that doesn't include the risky research that's going on. Until you admit that it's risky, we're not going to get anywhere. You have to admit that this research was risky. The NIH has now rebuked them. Your own agency has rebuked them. But that's, the thing is, is you're still unwilling to admit that they gained in function when they say they became sicker. They gained in right. lethality. It's a right. new virus. That's not gain of function. According to the definition that is currently <laughs> operable, you know, Senator, let's one. make it clear for the people who are listening. The current definition was done over a two to three year period by outside bodies, including the NSABB, two conferences by the National Academy of Science, Engineering and Medicine on December 2014, March 2016. We commissioned external risk-benefit assessment, and then on January of 2017, the Office of Science and Technology Policy of the White House issued the current policy. And coincidentally, I, I coincidentally have not changed the definition any definition. On the same day the NIH said that, yes, there was a gain of function in Wuhan, the same day the definition appeared, the new definition, to try to define away what's going on in Wuhan. Until you accept it, until you expect, accept responsibility, we're not going to get anywhere right. close to trying to prevent another lab leak of this dangerous sort of experiment. You won't admit well, that it's dangerous, and for that lack of judgment, I think it's time that you resign. Thank you, Senator Paul. And I would like um, to give the time to Dr. Fauci. Yeah, well, there were so many things that are egregious misrepresentation here, uh, Madam Chair, that I, I don't think I'd be able to refute all of them, but just a couple of them for the listens to hear for. You have said that I am unwilling to take any responsibility for the current pandemic. I have no responsibility for the current pandemic. The current pandemic, okay? Number two, you said the overwhelming amount of evidence indicates that's a lab leak. I believe most card-carrying viral phylogenists and molecular virologists would disagree with you that it's much more likely, even though we leave open all possibilities, it's much more likely that this was a natural occurrence. Third, you say we We've can tested 80,000 animals and no Senator animals have been Paul, found with COVID. Senator Paul, the time is for And third, you made a statement just a moment ago that's completely incorrect, where you say we continue to support research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You proved it in August of last year. No, no, your statement says, quote, I wrote it down as you were writing. You continue to support research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You were in committee a month ago Which and said you still trust the Chinese scientists and you still support the research over there. You said it a month ago Senator in committee. Senator Paul, I have allowed Dr. Fauci to respond. You've had your time. I'm going to give him He's going to be dishonest. Minute. He ought to be challenged. Senator Paul, we will allow Dr. Fauci to respond after you've given accusations like that. Dr. Fauci. Well, I don't have any more to say except to say that, as usual, and I've, I have a great deal of respect for this body of the Senate, and it makes me very uncomfortable to have to say something, but he is egregiously incorrect in what he says. Thank you. Thank History you. will figure that out on its own. <laughs> history will... Let's, I've said that before. You know what? Let's just let history decide who's right and who's wrong, because... I mean, Fauci ain't going to take responsibility. He said, flat out, I have no responsibility. And 
boy, when Senator Paul says, because of your lack of judgment, I think it's time that you resign. If you go see the video of his face uh, and his reaction to, to Rand Paul saying that to him, Fauci like just gets uncomfortable in his chair. He starts squirming around. He has this like, oh my God, where's my mommy? Come help me, mommy. Look on his face. And then he starts flubbing his words when he tries to explain himself. His arguments are quite weak, quite thin. And they have been throughout this the course of this entire thing. And the reason why is he's not going to admit fault because he knows it's his ass. Him and the Peter DeZank guy that, that funded this research that Rand Paul said, if we're going to have an independent investigation into what happened, these guys can't be involved because they have a obvious conflict of interest for coming to the truth. So, people, until our powers that be, the authority figures in charge of making the decisions that are allegedly supposed to be, in our, the people's eyes, the best decision of the whole, right? They can't even admit fault. They, no, one's, no one's admitting that anything was wrong. He's still saying it was, there's a chance that this virus came out of nature. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> wow. Wow. I agree. I think Fauci should step down because he's too, here's why, he's too busy trying to negate fault and trying to uh, not take responsibility for saying that Yes, gain-of-function research was happening in the Wuhan lab. And yes, there is a chance that that research, uh, that virus could have been let out in one way or another. And that's how this thing started. And he, because of his deep-seated fear of being found out and having to be the fall guy for the, all of this, he is completely missing the point that, look... It, it doesn't, we're not trying to blame you specifically. We're trying to blame the research that occurred in this lab. And we're trying to get you to admit that this type of research, regardless of the COVID-19 pandemic, is dangerous and could result in a, uh, you know, a mass extinction event. They're studying viruses that are 15 to 50% uh, fatality rate. Compared to COVID, which is like 0.1, I think uh, Rand Paul said. Like, he's mi- Fauci is completely missing the bigger picture. And that's what Rand Paul is trying to say. He is c- trying to tell Fauci to his face, look, man, I'm not trying to blame you. I want you, as the head of this organization, to say and recognize and admit that this research is risky and could result in Many, many, many more deaths around this world. Not only in the United States, but around this world. And until you're going to admit the reality of the danger of this type of -of gain-of-function research, we are not going to be able to move the goalpost in any direction. We're not going to be able to move the stick. There's no end in sight. Because the authority figures, human beings, are making mistakes and not doing what they should be doing. And I've been over that stuff before, right? 
these big, huge organizations whose leaders we put up on a pedestal and think of them as these angels, these benevolent angels that are going to organize society for us. This, this, you know, fallacy of reality that some of you left-wingers out there just refuse to understand that it's not real. It's a fantasy. It's a fairy tale. What you think is, is possible centralized control over a people and over an economy and a culture. People have responsibilities. Not corporations. Not governments. That's just... The word government and the word corporation is just a big word, one single word, that defines a group of people. Individuals. People have responsibilities, not corporations. Why? Because a corporation is just a bunch of people. You can't hide behind the word corporation. I know, the whole idea of the word is limited liability. You think that's a good idea? To let these multinational corporate corporations, you know, Citizens United, a corporation is a person? <laughs> this, it, it, people. That limited liability is good in certain ways to limit you from you know the the people that run the organization from litigation should something terrible happen from the uh, production and distribution of their product right that's the whole idea behind limited liability corporation but if it gets to the point if that whole idea and that philosophy results in the mass extinction of humanity and nobody has to take the blame for that you really think it's you know you, you think Pfizer deserves to have limited liability anymore after having to settle the largest criminal and civil court case in history in American history I mean it makes it makes me kind of want to go like I feel like my head is spinning I feel like like that clown that clown shoes meme where it's like you're just painting your face and getting ready to put your clown makeup and your and your little clown nose on because the mental gymnastics that your brain has to do to justify the shit is immense <laughs> you, oh man I don't understand what it's going to take for us to understand you know what? Here's a guy that can say people have responsibilities in a much more eloquent way than I can. Take a listen to good old Milty. First of all, the government doesn't have any responsibility. People have responsibility. This building doesn't have responsibility. You and I have responsibility. People have responsibility. The question is, how can we as people exercise our responsibility toward our fellow man most effectively? So far as poverty is concerned, there is never in history been a more effective machine for eliminating poverty than the free enterprise system and the free market. <laughs> the period in which you had the greatest improvement in the lot of the ordinary man was the period of the 19th and early 20th century. Those of us in this room are the heirs of that. If you look at the real problems of poverty and denial of freedom to people in this country, almost every single one of them is a result of government action and would be eliminated if you eliminated the bad government failures. We have constructed a governmental welfare scheme which has been a machine for producing poor people. 
We have induced people to come under control of welfare. We, I'm not blaming the people. Don't misunderstand me. It's our fault for constructing so perverse and so ill-shaped a monster as the whole set of welfare programs we have under which we encourage people, uh, families to break up. We encourage people to move from one part of the country and come to another under which we have, in effect, made many people poor. Have I ever been where? Welfare or poor. I have, sir. Of course. Of course. More so than most of the people in this room. But you know, that's all irrelevant. Is there one of you who is going to say that you don't want a doctor to treat you for cancer unless he himself has had cancer? But when all is said and done, while there are people in this country who are worse off than other people, by and large, even the poorest people in this country are relatively well off compared to the conditions in many other countries in the world. Now, that doesn't mean we should be satisfied with it. We are a wealthier country, and we've been more productive. And we should set higher standards by ourselves. But by the same token, we ought to have a sense of proportion, and we ought to recognize both the source and the problem. But first we have to recognize the source of the problem. People have responsibilities. You, me, all of us. Not corporations, not buildings, not governments. The key word, people, is responsibility. We better start learning this stuff Somebody's responsible for all this shit. Somebody's responsible for there being no end in sight to this pandemic. And if I had to guess, that was the point in the first place. There isn't supposed to be an end. Just like there wasn't supposed to be an end to the TSA. Just like there wasn't supposed to be an end to the Patriot Act. Just like there wasn't supposed to be an end to the income tax. Slow usurpations over time. Increasing centralization of power, money, and control in the hands of a very few. And it's all by design. On purpose. It's supposed to be that way. It was designed that way. And the sooner we learn that, people, the sooner we get away from this lack of understanding of the history that has brought us to where you and I are standing or sitting in this world right now as we speak. Our lack of understanding of history, of how we got here, of who really built this fucking place, and who really owns this fucking place. Until we learn that, we're not going anywhere. Things will always be exactly as they are right now, and they will continue to progressively get worse and worse and worse. Speaking of there, no, uh, of there being no end in sight, here's another thing that seems that there is no end in sight to, of, whatever. 
the military-industrial complex's endless wars and unbelievably out-of-control government spending. Here is a clip from John Stossel, great reporter, used to be a lefty, now I think he's a libertarian. Doesn't really matter, because this uh, clip that I'm about to play for you, he does a very good job of covering some more of the ridiculous lack of responsibility that we Americans refuse to take, that responsibility that we Americans refuse to take and do anything about as far as the unbelievable waste that this government is responsible and guilty for. The wasted money, the wasted lives, the wasted technologies and military equipment, the wasted time that we've spent in Afghanistan. Your tax dollars wasted on nothing. Millions upon millions upon billions of dollars. They don't have any reason to stop. They don't have any reason to slowly turn the faucet off. And that's, remember, Milton Friedman again said, look, you know, as soon as you, it's like, it's like the out of control spending is like an alcoholic, an alcoholism. It's stopping now, turning it off cold turkey, the good effects are going to come later, but the bad effects are going to come right now. And there's a time limit on those bad effects, but there's no way of getting around the fact that there's going to be bad effects first. So if you don't turn it off and you allow it to, to continue, you'll slowly have some good effects you know, with the inflation over time and then the deflation, etc. But long term, it's like uh, Jim Rogers said, somebody's going to have to pay for this. So, you know, with that in mind, let's take a listen to the Stossel clip on the wasteful government spending and this military-industrial complex's continued list of endless wars that seem to never end. It seems like there's no end in sight. Take a listen to this. It seems that Transdime sold a part. It's odd for me to begin a video praising AOC, but she makes a good point here. It costs about $32 to make the part. And Transdime charged us $1,400. The defense contractor had marked up the price by more than 4,000%. So my question to you is, why should we give you another dime? Here's the company's CEO. It seems to me the government always has the choice of what to buy and what not to buy from us. True. The problem is that government rarely cares about cost. I asked Cato defense analyst Eric Gomez. No one at the Pentagon says, wait a second, this is just too much. This is a lot of money to you or to me, but to an organization with a budget of $750 billion a year, this is nothing. I don't think there's much incentive on the Hill to hold these people accountable, which is why I'm thankful that AOC did do that. At least Transdime did repay 16 million it had grabbed from taxpayers. Even bigger waste happens when the military buys exotic new weapons like this F-35 fighter. It, like many planes and ships, is billions over budget. We keep hearing these horrible stories and you think it's going to be fixed, 
but it never is. I think a lot of members of Congress don't want it fixed. Because they want the pork. Defense contractors cleverly produce things in many different states. Lockheed Martin boasts that the F-35 parts are made in 48 states. You're a member of Congress and they're spending that money in your district to employ people in your district. Then you don't want to get that taken away from you. Once we go to war, there are even fewer checks on spending. In Afghanistan, America built the world's most expensive gas station, 43 million U.S. taxpayer dollars. It dispenses natural gas, even though few cars use natural gas. It costs $700 to switch over a car to natural gas, more than the average Afghan makes in a year. When investigators asked questions, the Defense Department said everyone who worked on the project was gone and therefore unable to answer. Welcome to the war that was Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, at least, our government did try to limit our involvement, saying Americans will not fight this war forever. So we're going to train and equip the Afghan people so they can defend themselves. But that created a new form of waste. Planes have been sitting quite literally in the weeds. We donated these planes. Only later did officials realize. The Afghan Air Force could not fly those planes. So these transport planes were simply destroyed. Why did the Defense Department assume the Afghan Air Force could fly them? Cultures are different. Here an American tries to lead Afghan soldiers in jumping jacks. You're dealing with a population that most of them aren't literate. Many still can't read despite our spending $200 million teaching them. Now America has withdrawn. The Taliban wear American uniforms and drive American trucks. Courtesy of Uncle Sam, Americans supplied armor. Of course, if we lose a war, we'll lose equipment. The only real way to reduce losses is not just to stop wasteful spending, but to make decisions about which things are worth fighting for. We can't do everything. I think the problem becomes we have any clear sense of where things are going to go, what our objective is. We have an objective, make the world safe for democracy. In Afghanistan, we had objectives of making it safe for democracy too. We had objectives of turning Iraq from Saddam Hussein into a democratic and rich society. And I don't think the record has been very good when we have goals like that. We cannot afford to police the whole world. We already spend more on defense than the next 10 countries combined. We spend so much we can't even keep track of it. Every year, the Pentagon fails audits. Now it says it might pass one in 2027. How do they get away with that? People in private companies can't fail audits like that. No one wants to admit that they royally have messed up. No one in government ever admits that they've wasted our money because they always want to spend more. So spending grows. Few politicians will say no to anything. We post soldiers all over the world. More than 50,000 are still in Japan. Tens of thousands in Germany and South Korea. Is it our job to protect South Korea from North Korea? To protect Taiwan from China? Ukraine from Russia? Israel from Iran? Now the military wants to spend more on climate change. No nation can find lasting security without addressing the climate crisis. The existential threat to America is climate change. This is nuts. We can't do everything. Government has to make some choices. 
for Americans to have a future where we are both safe and prosperous, the military should focus on its core mission, defending America itself. All right. So all of this makes me think of 1984, Orwell. And I'm going to read this excerpt uh, from the theory and practice of, listen to these words, oligarchical collectivism by Emanuel Goldstein. And for those of you that have read Orwell's 1984, you know exactly what I'm about to say and what I'm about to read to you. What I'm about to read to you was written in the early uh, 1900s, I believe. Uh, I forget when 1984 came out. I want to say it was in the 1920s. I could be wrong on that. And maybe he even wrote it a little before that. But just listen to the theory and practice of oligarchical, what's oligarchy? Rule by, of the rich, government of the rich, by the rich, and for the rich, right? And what's collectivism? Socialism and communism, okay? So understand what this plan is. And this goes right back to that joke, you know. Uh, they said, that joke that used to go around on Facebook on the, in the meme that said, you know, 1984 wasn't supposed to be an instruction manual. And the reason why is because of this. Chapter 3 of the Theory and Practice of Oligarchical Collectivism, War is Peace. The splitting up of the world into three great superstates was an event which could be and indeed was foreseen before the middle of the 19th and 20th century. With the absorption of Europe by Russia and the British Empire by the United States, two of the three existing powers Eurasia and Oce Oceania were already effectively in being. <clears throat> Excuse me. The third, East Asia, only emerged as a distinct unit after another decade of confused fighting. The frontiers between the three superstates are in some places arbitrary, or arbitrary, and in others they fluctuate according to the fortunes of war. But in general, they follow geographical lines. <clears throat> Eurasia comprises the whole of the northern part of the European and Asiatic landmass, from Portugal to the Bering Strait. Oceania comprises the Americas, the Atlantic Islands, including the British Isles, Aust Australasia, and the southern portion of Africa. East Asia, similar than the others and with a less definite western frontier, comprises China and the countries to the south of it, the Japanese islands and the large but fluctuating portion of Manchuria, Mongolia, and Tibet. In one combination or another, these three superstates are permanently at war and have been so for the past 25 years. War, however, is no longer the desperate, annihilating struggle that it was in the early decades of the 20th century. It is a warfare of limited aims between combatants who are unable to destroy one another, have no material cause for fighting, and are not divided by any genuine ideological difference. This is not to say that either the conduct of war or the prevailing attitude toward it 
has become less bloodthirsty or more chivalrous. On the contrary, war hysteria is continuous and universal in all countries, and such acts as raping, looting, the slaughter of children, the reduction of the whole populations to slavery, and reprisals against prisoners, which extend even to boiling and burying people alive, are looked upon as normal, and when they are committed by one's own side and not by the enemy, they are considered meritorious. But in the physical sense, war involves very small numbers of people, mostly highly trained specialists, and causes comparatively few casualties. The fighting, when there is any, takes place on the vague frontiers while whereabouts the average man can only guess at, or round the floating fortresses which guard strategic spots on the sea lanes. In the centers of civilization, war means no more than a continuous shortage of consumption goods and the occasional crash of a rocket bomb, which may cause a few scores of deaths. War has, in fact, changed its character. More exactly, the reasons for which war is waged have changed in their order of importance, Motives which are already present to some small extent in the Great War of the early 20th century have now become dominant and are consciously recognized and acted upon. And this goes back to what they also were talking about in... Uh, another part of this where they talk about the idea is to keep all of society at just above uh, starvation standard of living. Doling out, you know, bread and circuses and just enough uh, uh, means of sustenance so that you're always, you know, thirsty for more. Purposely destroying consumption goods. Keeping the war perpetual. Selling it to you through the media and the propaganda to get you to believe that it's far away. The war and the fighting and the destruction is happening in a faraway land. So you don't have to worry about it. Your government has everything under control. So you can make the argument, people, that what we're seeing with... The pork barrel spending and the government waste and the endless wars. You know, this is the reason why Dave Smith and myself and many, many other liberty-minded people continue to tell you, Americans, that Ron Paul was right. That's why Ron Paul was the only real one, in the words of Dave Smith. Because he got all of this shit right. And everybody ignored him. And the Republican Party, when he was up for the office up for the, the nomination, went with Mitt Romney. So, clearly there is an, there's no thirst, there's no desire, there's no hunger to solve these problems and to listen to guys like Ron Paul within the Republican Party. Otherwise, they would have voted their principles and they would have voted to do what's right. They would have been courageous enough to do what's best for the whole. And they chose the money. And the establishment. 
because that's what the Republicans and the Democrats are. They're the establishment. Two parties dichotomy, the two party dichotomy exists to make you think that you have a choice and you have no choice. The divide and conquer agenda puts puppet on the left and puppet on the right in front of you, gullible, naive, idiot, ignorant, American morons. And every four years, you continue to walk your ass into a voting booth and pick another one, yet another one, of one of these rich assholes who do not give a fuck about you, in the words of George Carlin. Good, hardworking people, white collar, blue collar, doesn't matter what color shirt you have on, continue to vote for these rich assholes who do not give a fuck about you. And the sooner you get that through your heads, my fellow Americans, the sooner you become more politically mature and literate and you understand these themes and concepts and philosophies, the sooner we are going to get to that promised land. The sooner we're going to get to a better society for all of us. It's got to start inside first. You got to look in a mirror and consciously choose. And until you do that, you got to shut your fucking mouth and quit pointing the finger at other people and blaming all of the problems in this world on others. Because it's your fucking fault. Just as much as it's your neighbor's fault. I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, we're going to have some more fun and exciting commentary here on the Politics and Punk Rock podcast. Inflation is just like alcoholism. In both cases, when you start drinking or when you start printing too much money, the good effects come first. The bad effects only come later. That's why in both cases, there's a strong temptation to overdo it, to drink too much and to print too much money. When it comes to the cure, it's the other way around. When you stop drinking or when you stop printing money, the bad effects come first and the good effects only come later. That's why it's so hard to persist with the cure. In the United States, four times in the 20 years after 1957, we undertook the cure. We lacked the will to continue. As a result, we had all the bad effects and none of the good effects. Japan, on the other hand, by sticking to a policy of slowing down the printing presses for five years, was, by 1978, able to reap all the benefits. All right, so welcome back. That was the clip I wanted to play for you. I think it themes up quite nicely with regard to people. We know what the problem is, and we know what the cure is. That's not the issue. It's not that we can't figure out how to solve the problems. We know how to solve our problems. It's not that we don't... uh, It's not that we're not able to do it. It's just that there's no desire to do it. It's become unsustainable. And people still continue to think that this is just going to last forever. And it's another one of the reasons why I have a hard time bringing a child into this world. I don't know if I want kids. And the reason why is because what kind of world are they going to be growing up in? What's going to happen to these children? If we continue to march towards one world government, medical tyranny, 
police surveillance state, no freedoms. You know, you're becoming a number and not a name. They're going to put, you know, they're going to implant you with a microchip. You know, the whole gray state uh, trailer I told you guys to go look up. I mean, that's what that's what that entire movie was supposed to be about. Is this this FEMA camp police state world where they mark you like you're in a concentration camp. And it's all by design. It's not like there's an existential threat. The powers that be control this entire fucking world at this point, people. Now they have to play the puppet master games. They have to continue to affect public opinion, manipulate your mind to make you believe in this fantasy world as if that's reality. And people, I'm here to tell you, remember I've told you in a previous podcast, there's the show and there's the reality. The show is what the powers that be, the establishment, the big club want you to believe is real. And then there's reality. The things that I'm talking about and other podcasters like me are talking about. That's the reality. You're not getting reality on the mainstream media. You're going to have to go to alternative media to get the reality. If you want the show, just keep watching the show. The show's in your face 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's supposed to be that way. It's on TV, at the, it's on your, your screens at the bar, it's on your screens at the airport, it's on your screens as you're walking through overpasses. Uh, here in Minneapolis, we have this uh, Skyway. You know, the screens all over the place, marketing too. There's billboards everywhere. Bus uh, station seats, everywhere. Marketing, advertising, just bombarding you everywhere, all the time. Constant overstimulation. Uh, over over uh, consumption of useless information. Blinding you from seeking and finding the truth easily. It's difficult. Finding truth is difficult. And it's by design. If you're going to want to be a person that goes out and takes responsibility and decides to be courageous, and you're going to go looking and seeking truth, looking for and seeking truth, I'm telling you right now, it's not easy. But that's no reason not to do it. We know how to solve our problems, people. We know what what the problems are. We know what the solutions are. The problem that we face in solving any of that is developing the will to actually implement a plan. And there are very, very, very powerful forces in this world that have devoted their lives to making sure that that never happens. There you go. Now you know how the world works. We got to start judging our policies based on their results and not their intentions. That's another Milton Friedman quote. Milton Friedman was right, people. Forget Reaganomics. I've told you in previous podcasts, Reaganomics failed because all these rich assholes, all these crony capitalists kept all the money. They didn't let it trickle down. There was no Dan Prices out there paying over and above a living wage and then some to their employees. It's not that the plan didn't didn't work or couldn't work. It's that it didn't work as as uh you know developed as it was developed. 
you, and I've said before, you can say the same thing about socialism and communism, right? You remember from the um, Michael Knowles and uh, Brad C. Bradley, whatever, Thompson, when they had that debate in the crucifixion of Karl Marx uh, podcast episode, where they said, you know, it, it, great plan on paper, not a great plan in practice, right? Well, you could make the same argument, I understand that. And a lot of people do. A lot of people argue that socialism and communism is the way because, uh, you know, laissez-faire economics and hands-off government, uh, Reaganomics, trickle-down economics, etc. didn't work, right? And the reason why it didn't work is the same reason why socialism and communism never works. It's because fallible, imperfect human being creatures are in control, making mistakes, over and over and over again, more often than not. Where are you going to find these angels who are going to organize society for us? Maybe I am a Milton Friedman right-wing loving moron, Ayn Rand loving apologist. <laughs> remember, remember when uh, I told you about those Facebook guys? Oh, <clears throat> you can't be a a Milton Friedman, uh, Ayn Rand-loving person and be in the punk rock scene. Oh, God. Right-wingers and conservatives are, are and liber libertarians aren't punk rock people. Punk rock's about rebellion. Punk rock is about damn the man, fuck the system, fuck the establishment. And if you progressive lefties that are doing and saying and believing everything that the big club tells you, I don't know. You might want to think about Mark Twain's quote when he says, if you ever find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. <laughs> I think it's time for you guys to pause and reflect, my progressive lefty punk rocker friends out there. I'm trying to smarten you guys up. You gotta get smarter. Stop being so gullible and naive. Stop believing everything that your team tells you. Without further investigation, or any investigation for that matter. What are we doing, people? How can we logically think that having no end in sight, no plan in place, no will to solve our problems, how can we think that that's the best course of action and that everything's going to just be okay? Just give it to God, right? Have faith, people. Pay no attention to your logical faculties and your sensory perception. You know, pay no attention. Do not believe your eyes or ears. Let them manipulate you, misdirect you, manufacture your consent, brainwash you, propagandize you. Just let them keep doing it. Keep watching the show, my fellow Americans. And pay no attention to the reality. There's nothing for you in reality. If you pay attention to the show and allow no other thought to come into your psyche, everything's going to be okay. The state will always win, and good always prevails. You never have to learn a thing. Here's Ayn Rand. <laughs> I 
I'm playing Milty and Ayn Rand just to prove a point and just to kind of be a dick to my critics today. Uh, here's uh, Ayn Rand on uh, the ill effects of collectivism. Take a listen to this. These trends which are bringing the world to disaster because we are now moving towards complete collectivism or socialism, uh, a system under which everybody is enslaved to everybody. And we are moving that way only because of our altruist morality. Ah, yes, but you say everybody is enslaved to everybody. Yet this came about democratically, I, and the free people in a free country voted for this kind of government, wanted this kind of legislation. Do you object to the democratic process? I object to the idea that people have the right to vote on everything. The traditional American system was a system based on the idea that majority will prevailed only in public or political affairs and that it was limited by inalienable individual rights. Uh -huh. Therefore, I do not believe that a majority can vote a man's life or property or freedom away from him. It is precisely these trends which are bringing the world to disaster. It is precisely this trend that is leading the world to disaster. This idea that communism means that man is enslaved to other men and women, obviously. The equal sharing of misery. Everybody's a worker. Nobody's an entrepreneur. Uh, nobody is a capitalist. You can't aspire to greatness. You can't reach for the stars anymore. Is that the kind of country you want to live in? Is that the kind of world you want to live in? Total centralized control of the entire world? That's the plan. Carol Quigley told you about it, how, how, how we arrived here. A little bit of the history of how we got here in the book Tragedy and Hope. A lot of esoteric secret societies out there. Allegedly pulling the strings from behind the scenes, getting people into positions of power in order to further an agenda. There's a reason, my fellow Americans, that there is no end in sight. There's a reason. And the reason is because there isn't supposed to be an end. There never was supposed to be an end. In every 20 years, they're probably going to roll out some new type of government action, legislation, that are supposed to have the best intentions of the whole in mind, but end up in reality failing miserably. And then there's no responsibility taken. There's no accountability. The devil's get off and get to live forever and you and me, the good, decent, hard-working American people, we die young. We give a lot of ourselves and our options to this Leviathan monstrosity idea known as government when really you're just given your sovereignty over to a group of people 
human beings just like you. Believing their bullshit. Believing that they can make decisions for you better than you can make for yourself. Where's your dignity? Where are your balls? Where is your backbone? That is the ultimate question. It is the ultimate test. If you want to create God's kingdom on earth, you're going to have to start by looking in a mirror and solving the problems and recognizing first and then solving the problems within you. And then as soon as you are the change you want to see in the world, as soon as you've patterned your life after what the type of citizen we all want to be, as soon as you do that, as soon as you arrive there, as soon as you achieve that goal, then maybe you can start finding some like-minded individuals and working together collectively, cooperatively, to start solving the problems in this world. But I'm just here to tell you people, if we're going to do that, it's going to take will, it's going to take organization, it's going to take strength, resources, effort, resolve, discipline, a sense of duty, a desire to be honorable and to have honor. That's just how it is. That's the reality. And if we don't consciously decide to be better tomorrow than we were today, as far as all of our problems go, people, There is and there will always be no end in sight. I want to play a clip for you guys that I found quite interesting. This is now President Joe Biden speaking to a room full of people about getting out of Afghanistan back in 2007. And I want you to pay very close attention to what he says and then put it into perspective when thinking about how he actually decided to leave Afghanistan while he was president of the United States. Take a listen to this. How we end this war. And it makes a big difference to tell the American people the truth about what our options are in ending this war. If tomorrow... The order goes out from the president. I'm president of the United States. I issue an order. End the war today. Begin to withdraw all American troops. It will take a year to get the American troops out. Do you hear me now? That's the truth. It will take a year to get them physically out. Now, if you leave all the equipment behind, you might be able to do it in seven months. And you leave those billions of dollars of weapons behind, I promise they're going to be used against your grandchild and mine someday. Can you believe that, people? If you leave all of those weapons and equipment behind, they're going to be used against your children and grandchildren one day. Uh, You guys hearing what I'm hearing? That's exactly what he did. General Milley told you, oh, there was a bunch of different strategies Uh, that we never anticipated uh, the Taliban taking over. Uh, We knew that it was on the table. We didn't know if it was going to be days, weeks, or even years. Even years. 
Here in 2007, Biden is saying, if I gave the order as president of the United States to get the troops out of Afghanistan, it would take a year because of all the equipment and weapons. And if we leave all the weapons and equipment, six months, seven months, why the haste? Why did we make the decision to get out of there so quickly and in such a terrible, awful, disgusting way? There's some uh, reasons behind that decision. I bet you anything. And And I would love to know those reasons. Because it's not looking good for America on the world stage anymore. People can't trust us because of this terrible geopolitical military decision-making strategy, tactics, or lack thereof. I don't know who these people are. You know, I've heard a lot of people lately say, you know what, the military's woke now. (laughs) Really, the military's woke now? Are we just, uh, does anybody else feel like we're just becoming a laughing stock of our own selves? It's like we're all becoming such a joke. And all of us are just like, eh. That's just the way society's going. World's coming to an end, right? World's going to shit. You know, it, does, does anybody take responsibility? Does anybody, you know, is anybody accountable? accountability is anybody accountable for this stuff you know are some of these people and organizations and companies and institutions above the law interesting stuff i recently heard about the jill and maxwell or gill and maxwell case that's coming up apparently they got james comey's daughter as the prosecutor who was on the island <laughs> how convenient and I think the judge just got moved over from, uh, just got appointed to the appeals court. And there's a connection there somehow. I forget what it is. But, I mean, people. If you, I mean, this stuff, reality is like the best TV show I've ever seen. <laughs> These people are, can literally get away with anything. There's already a proletariat and a bourgeoisie people, and the bourgeoisie is going to take over the world. And every single one of you people in every single country around this world is going to become the proletariat. Your ability to open your own businesses is going away. Sooner or later, they're going to regulate you into oblivion, or they're going to raise your overhead to such grand scales that you're not going to be able to afford to stay in business. They're trying to crush the little guy and empower and embolden, embolden these multinational, transnational, big club corporations. All in bed with governments around the world. The United Nations created on purpose to put all of this stuff into place. The Bush family, George H.W., uh, his, his dad... Prescott. There's a bunch of history about that family laying the groundwork and the foundation for this. The first episode of this podcast, people, I played George H.W. Bush from his own mouth. Tell you people. 
we will be successful. We have a real chance at this new world order where they're ruled by law, what, what, you know, where man is ruled by law and, you know, I forget the entire verbatim clip. Maybe I'll play it at the end of the show today just to remind you guys, those of you that haven't listened all the way back to episode one, I think maybe I will have to replay for you today George H.W. Bush introduced the New World Order to this world. But in the meantime, let's move on. I want to play a very interesting clip that I just discovered from Crazy Pants, Nut Job, not always well-intentioned Alex Jones. I know he's a crazy crackpot, but he occasionally has a nugget of very useful, interesting information. And, uh... I think you guys are going to find this to be quite interesting. Take a listen to this. It happened. It it happened. It's really hard for me to believe this happened, but it had to happen. If we have any future on this planet, and it's very good news. You're looking at MSM.com. It's all over the place. The NIH, the head of it, came out and said, look, Fauci's been funding billions of dollars in gain of function weaponized viruses for years. And he lied to Congress. They say in the letter he lied to Congress. And they've given Fauci and others under him five days to give them all documents over the years of any gain of function. So here it is. NIH admits Fauci lied about funding Wuhan gain of function. And here's the actual letter. This is the rats leaving the sinking ship, ladies and gentlemen. This is a big deal. We know they cooked it up. We know they released it. And now the vaccine, they admit, is doubling people's chances of dying. It's not a vaccine. So, how does that make you feel? What if Alex Jones is right? What if the officials of the NIH really sent a letter, and it's all over the news now, that everything Rand Paul accused Fauci of was accurate? And now they're going to make Fauci the fall guy, allegedly. And the scariest part about that little Alex Jones clip there is that, you know, they're saying that the vaccine isn't a vaccine. The vaccine is doubling people's chances of dying from this thing with over the course of the next 10, 15, 20 years. Who knows? This is terrifying stuff, people. What if this is like really a V for Vendetta episode or like, you know, the government cooks up some virus and it kills all these people. You know, the movie Contagion, is that was that prepping us? The movie uh, Pandemic that Bill Gates put on Netflix? <laughs> Pretty sure that was preparing us. The media prepares you for the future, people, and that's what the media mind control manipulation is all about. And now they got their ideology into the militaries of this world. Apparently now, like I said, the military's woke. What you know? I, I'm telling you, people. There's a small group of people, world planners, that we've been talking about on this show for quite some time. Remember, Aldous Huxley said this is gonna the next era is gonna be the era of world planners. David Rockefeller said that the supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable 
to the national auto-determination practiced in past centuries. People, it's coming. The brave new Orwellian surveillance police state world totalitarian socialist communist dictatorship, it's coming. Take a listen to this. Here's I, I, I had to do a little bit of research about this story. Uh, and I have another little interesting part of the show today. Uh, let me set this up. This is Alex Jones talking about some stuff I'm about to play for you. We're going to talk about that in a second. But then he says, go. he tells his audience to go look up this guy named Jimmy Seville. I never heard of Jimmy Seville. He's an interesting guy. And uh, I went and looked him up. Uh, after I heard Alex Jones say that, I got intellectually curious. Hmm, weird. And I got some interesting information about this guy named Jimmy Seville. So here we go. Take a listen to the clip first, and then we're going to explore together. Declaring war. Jimmy Savelle's best friend. Look up Jimmy Savelle. Declaring war on all of us. Here he is. So, ladies and gentlemen, my plea today is for countries to come together to create the environment that enables every sector of industry to take the action required. We know this will take trillions, not billions of dollars. We also know that countries, many of whom are burdened by growing levels of debt, simply cannot afford to go green. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector. With trillions at his disposal, far beyond global GDP, and with the greatest respect, beyond even the governments of the world's leaders, it offers the only real prospect. He goes on to, the, uh, goes on to say the only real prospect of solving the climate crisis uh, in our world, basically, is what he said. I'm paraphrasing. That was the Prince of Wales. And... Alex Jones said that this guy Jimmy Seville is his buddy, and that was him at, uh, I believe it was the, uh, I want to say the climate, world climate change, like, forum or whatever. They had a big meeting in, uh, I think it was England. I could be wrong about that. But, so that was Prince of Wales. Asking the world to let's do let's take control of industry to make the right decisions. Let's work together to do what's right. We got to start. Uh, it's going to cost trillions of dollars to do the things we need to do to change the world into this new universally controlled and dominated world because we got to tackle crazy pathogens that could spread around this world and kill us all. And we got to tackle climate change because we all share the planet, right? People, these are the reasons. These are the scapegoats that are going to be used. This is how they're going to roll out the new world order. The Trojan horse. I've talked about it before. They marched their plan right into your living room right under your nose, while you are lulled to sleep with your face in entertainments. If you're looking for the guilty, who's 
fault is all of this? How did things get so bad? This is out of control. Where do we draw the line in the sand? At what point do we choose and decide because we have no other choice to resist? People, if you're looking for whose fault it is, look no further than a mirror. I know why you did it. You were scared. And who wouldn't be? Strife, famine, war, disease. And the media constantly bombarding you, robbing you of your common sense. And in your chaos and in your turmoil, in your time of fear, you turn to High Chancellor Adam Sutler. Remember that from V for Vendetta? When V gave his communique to the country? Freedom, liberty, etc. These are not just words. These are perspectives. These are perspectives. So if you see what I see, if you feel as I feel, let's organize and meet at the Old Bailey a year from tonight, and we're going to give this government something that they will never, ever forget. Remember that? V for Vendetta. If you are a listener of my podcast and you have not watched the movie V for Vendetta yet, you're fucking up. Go watch that movie. (laughs) Go read 1984. (laughs) Uh, Go read Brave New World. Go read world politics and history, world history. This stuff's happening, people. It ain't going Oh, wait. Here, take... So here, let me look up this Jimmy Seville guy real quick. All right, shut up, Alex Jones. I don't want to hear you anymore. Here we go. Where is... Let's let's find Jimmy Seville. Let's... let's. I don't know why uh, Alex Jones wanted us to look up this guy named Jimmy Seville. I don't really understand why. Apparently, it was a big enough deal for him to uh, talk about on his show. So here we go, people. Take a listen to this. Sir James Wilson Vincent Seville was an English DJ, television, and radio personality who hosted BBC shows including Top of the Pops and Jim Will Fix It. He raised an estimated $40 million for charities and during his lifetime was widely praised for his personal qualities and as a fundraiser. After his death, hundreds of allegations of sexual abuse were made against him, leading the police to conclude that Seville had been a, quote, predatory sex offender, unquote, possibly one of Britain's most prolific. And apparently he's buddies with the Prince of Wales, who just got done telling you at the climate meeting, that we're going to have to take control of industries. We're going to have to take control of the entire world in order to prevent, uh, you know, pandemic potential pandemic pathogens from spreading. And we got to get the climate change deal under control. Okay? So as I continue reading this, think about the most powerful movers and shakers in this world. And then think about Biden and Trump, and then think about Jeffrey Epstein, and then think about Seth Rich, David Crowley, and anybody else 
that had something to say about what our government is doing behind our backs. Edward Snowden, Chelsea Manning, etc., etc., etc. There had been allegations during his lifetime, but they were dismissed and accusers ignored or disbelieved. Must be nice to be in the big club, huh? Seville took legal action against some of the accusers. As a teenager during the Second World War, Seville worked in coal mines as a Bevan boy and reportedly sustained spinal injuries. He began a career playing records in later and later managing dance halls, and was said to have been the first disc jockey to use twin turntables to keep music in constant play in his 20s. He was a professional wrestler, and he continued running marathons until his late 70s. So this guy, he was a mover and shaker. He had his hand in a bunch of stuff. His media career started as a DJ at Radio Luxembourg in 1958 and on the Tyne Tees television show in 1960, and he developed a reputation for eccentricity and flamboyance. At the BBC, he presented the first edition of Top of the Pops, uh, broadcast on Radio 1, 1968, presented on Jimmy will Fix It, etc. Okay. During his lifetime, he was known for fundraising and supporting charities and hospitals, in particular the Stoke Manville Hospital in Aylesbury, Leeds General Infirmary, and Broadmoor Hospital in Berkshire. In 2009, he was described by The Guardian as a prodigious philanthropist and was honored for his charity work. Hmm. All these creepy, predatory, sex offender, pedophiles, people, why are they always such big philanthropists? Why are the people pulling the strings of all the Ivy League schools and trying to control and dominate the world all such big philanthropists? Why is Bill Gates such a big philanthropist? People, think about it. Behind every great fortune, there's a great crime, as they say, right? And Seville was honored for his charity work. He was awarded the OBE in 1971 and was knighted in 1990. In 2006, he introduced the last edition of Top of the Pops. Okay. In October 2012, almost a year after his death, an ITV documentary examined claims of sexual abuse by Seville. This led to extensive media coverage and a substantial and rapidly growing body of witness statements and sexual abuse claims, including accusations against public bodies for covering up or failure of their duty to... Uh, to investigate, Scotland Yard launched a criminal investigation into the allegations of sex, child sex abuse by Seville, spanning six decades, describing him as a predatory sex offender and later stated that they were pursuing more than 400 lines of inquiry based on the testimony of 300 potential victims via 14 police forces across the UK. By late October 2012, the scandal had resulted in inquiries or reviews at the BBC within the Health National Health Service, the Crown Prosecution Service, and the Department of Health. In 2014, investigators, in, I'm sorry, investigations into Seville's activities in 28 NHS hospitals, including Leeds General Infirmary and Broadmoor Psychiatric Hospital, concluded that he had sexually assaulted staff 
and patients aged 5 to 75 for several decades. This man is a disgusting piece of shit. These are the people in control of this world. Are they Satan worshipping? Devil worshipping? Reptilian? Luciferians? Are they secret societies? Are they Freemasons and Rosicrucians? Who are these people? This club of aristocrats, in the words of Dr. Rima Labo, who said that they're going to get rid of the useless eaters soon, when she was treating that head of state that she told Jesse the Body Governor Ventura in his show in, I think it was 2007, Conspiracy Theory. And then now you got Klaus Schwab in the here and now writing a book called COVID-19, The Great Reset, where he flat out tells you, we're going to get rid of millions, if not billions, of useless eaters. Over 50% of the remaining billion, 500 million, are going to be of Asian Chinese descent because of their long history of being a regimented, disciplined people who are used to following orders and instructions without question. People, I don't know what more I need to provide. I wish all this stuff was garbage bullshit. I wish this was actual conspiracy theory. But this stuff can be sought out and discovered simply by jumping around and reading stuff on the internet, people. It ain't being hidden from you. You just aren't seeking this information out. And if all of us took five minutes out of our oh-so-busy, egocentric days where we're only worried about ourselves, living at the expense of everyone else, no intellectual curiosity, no intellectual honesty, just allowing the cable TV news propaganda to wash over you, lulling you to sleep, a painless concentration camp where you're going to have your freedoms taken away, but you're going to rather enjoy it because of the bread and circuses, because of the entertainments, because of the media manipulation enhanced by pharmacological methods. All right. So, fun stuff. More pedophiles in... Uh, with friends in very high places, seems to be uh, a trend is forming. Definitely seems like there are trends uh, that can be discovered. Uh, here, I'm going to play a clip here. This is going to be Spike Cohen, uh, libertarian, on uh, the Joshua Smith show Uh He's also a liberty-minded guy. And they're talking about the vaccines and the divide-and-conquer agenda. Check this out. This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. We must increase vaccinations among the unvaccinated with new 
vaccination requirements. It's not going to work. We have other countries with much higher rates of vaccination and they're seeing record surges of COVID because that's what viruses do. Many of us are frustrated with the nearly 80 million Americans who are still not vaccinated. Them their freedom. I want my freedom to live. Rest in peace, Wheezy. We are going to need the people to engage in age-old American tradition of simply saying, no, I'm not going to comply. Now, what are you going to do about it? It never stops. They want things to get worse because they want you to suffer so that they can grandstand on your suffering and push for even more control. They have criminalized freedom. They've made getting sick illegal. This isn't about COVID any more than the Patriot Act was about Al-Qaeda. It's about government asserting more control over your lives, your rights, your property. Your lives, your rights, your property, etc., 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 right? People are getting smart. People are waking up. And remember, remember when I talked uh, to you guys about the book Confessions of an Economic Hitman? John Perkins traveled around the world working for multinational corporations, trying to get them to take on these big structural adjustment loans so that they could basically come in, take all the resources, dominate uh, the country, expect them to vote with them on the world stage. Pretty much uh, nation building and imperialism is what the ultimate goal and the ultimate job of his profession is. So just to refresh your memory, let me remind you of what John Perkins told you guys about how this world really works, the deep state, the big club, the world planners, etc. And then I got another juicy clip from a former CIA officer telling you guys a little bit of reality. Uh, here we go, John Perkins. We economic hitmen really have been the ones responsible for creating this first truly global empire. And we work many different ways. But perhaps the most common is that we will identify a, a country that has resources our corporations covet, like oil, and then arrange a huge loan to that country from the World Bank or one of its sister organizations. But the money never actually goes to the country. Instead, it goes to our big corporations to build infrastructure projects in that country, power plants, industrial parks, ports, things that benefit a few rich people in that country, in addition to our corporations but really don't help the majority of the people at all. However, those people, the whole country is left holding a huge debt. It's such a big debt they can't repay it, and that's part of the plan, that they can't repay it. And so at some point, we economic hitmen go back to them and say, listen, you lost a lot of money, can't pay your debt, so sell your oil real cheap to our oil companies. Allow us to build a military base in your country or send troops in support of ours to someplace in the world like Iraq or vote with us on the next UN vote to have their electric utility company privatized and their water and sewage system privatized and sold to U.S. corporations or other multinational corporations. So there was that whole mushrooming thing and it's so typical of the way the IMF and the World Bank work that you put a country in debt, it's such a big debt it can't pay it, and then you offer to refinance that debt and, and, and pay even more interest. And you demand this quid pro quo, which you call a conditionality or good governance, which means basically that they've got to sell off their resources, in, in, including many of their social services, their utility companies, their school systems sometimes, their, their, their penal systems, their insurance systems to foreign corporations. So it's a, it's a double, triple, quadruple whammy. Whew. 
So, and remember just a little bit ago what, when I played for you the Prince of Wales saying, you know, there's a lot of countries around the world that are in debt and uh, they can't repay their debts. So we're going to have to harness the world industries and economies so that everybody will do what they're supposed to do in order to fight pandemics and climate change. I hope we're waking up to this stuff, people. This is the story of the world that you and I live in together, whether you want to believe it or not. Here we go. Here's a little clip from the horse's mouth. I don't know if it's former or current CIA officer Robert D. Steele, but uh, here, take a listen to what this man has to say. We have it all. All of the illicit wealth in the world has been tracked by the National Security Agency for the past 15 years. We now know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Wall Street has stolen $100 trillion from Main Street with naked short selling. We also know that Wall Street has laundered $100 trillion in dirty money from trafficking in children and women and uh, drugs and guns and gold. I could never tire of saying that 90% of the people in the U.S. government, the U.S. military, the U.S. intelligence community are good people trapped in a bad system. The secret intelligence community serves the deep state. It does not serve the American public. And CIA in particular has been doing torture, rendition and torture, drone assassination, regime change. Imperialism, covering up for pedophiles, sex trafficking, uh, yada, 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 etc., etc., etc. You know what that clip just reminded me of? People, we were warned about all of this. Thomas Jefferson, if the American people, quote, if the American people ever let the federal government control the issue of currency, the banks and corporations that will grow up around the people will rob the people until they are homeless on the continent that their fathers conquered, unquote. I don't know what it's going to take, people. I don't know what it's going to take for us to wake up. But we better do it soon. Uh, I'm going to play this clip. This is pretty funny. This is kind of a subject change. Uh, but this is the Tim Pool show with all of uh, a huge panel of colorful characters. Joe Rogan's on here. Alex Jones is in there. Michael Malice is in there. Uh, I, I can't remember who else. There's a few other choice social commentators uh, on this panel talking about how the progressive left is a cult. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. It's a media-manipulated, propaganda-induced brainwashing uh, technique that has created the wokeism cult. And people are waking up to this, too. And boy, I'm glad they are. I'm glad they are. Take a listen to this. This is so, cult shit. Yeah. Yep. We're in a cult. Yes. 
Tell us, Joe. Tell us, Joe. Tell us, Joe. Speak to us, leader. How does the Kool-Aid taste? Shut up, Dr. Joe. How's the Kool-Aid? We are in a cult. Joe, start off. This information is not based on reality. This is a left-wing cult. And they're they're pumping stuff out, and then they're confirming this belief. They're they're all getting together, and they're ignoring contrary evidence. Yes. They're ignoring any narrative that challenges their belief about what happened, and they're not looking at it realistically. They're only looking at it like you would look at it if you're in a fucking cult. Sounds it's like a religion. Weird left. It, well, cult is a religion that's just like yeah. it's, it's just older. Yeah. No, I, I had a bit about it. The, well, like, a cult, cult doesn't let you ask questions. Keep Joe going. Well, a cult is made by a guy, and that guy knows it's a cult. In a religion, that guy's dead. That's the difference. Like, religions are just cults that last longer. You, and you know, some of them prove to be worthwhile, like, social and economic and, and even uh, moral structures. <laughs> yeah, so at the end there, it's not like Rogan was going to start talking shit about religion. But he was just saying, I mean, he's got a point. I mean, a religion is basically a cult that has lasted a very long period of time and became the overarching worldview of a group of people, and they've operated under the tenets of that for better or for worse. So it's not like there's anything wrong with uh, religions. I guess there's not really anything wrong with cults. But if you're going to live in a free society, I've said it before, right? you got to be able to let people do what they want to do and believe what they want to believe, so long as they don't infringe on your property, your health, your life, or your ability to uh, sustain yourself, right? And that's where the problems begin, is when religions and cults start doing fucked up shit to people and expecting things, them to do things and taking control and uh, exercising power and force over them, just like governments do, right? It's all a big game of control. Certain people controlling everybody else. People controlling people. Doesn't matter what pretty word you put on it. Corporation, government, kingdom, you know, people. It's just a group of people. Stop putting people on a pedestal. Start believing your intuition about certain things in this world. You're probably not wrong to be skeptical and to question some of the shit that your alleged quote-unquote authority figures are trying to get by you and try to get you to believe. Gerald Massey once said, they must find it difficult, those who have taken authority as the truth, rather than truth as the authority. My fellow Americans, I suggest we all start seeking truth and looking at truth and to truth as the authority. If you want to progress as a people and as a culture and as a world, something to think about, just saying, people, let's turn up the optimism and the fun for a hot second. And let's play, before we play some punk rock, I want to play this Tulsi Gabbard clip. This is actually a good take. This is a pretty sweet take. So uh, here we go. Tulsi talking about CRT and the police state and uh, criticizing A.G. Garland. Here we go. Also here tonight, a former Hawaii congresswoman and former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard 
So, Tulsi, tell me, do you think that parents need to be concerned about heading to Gitmo? <laughs> Every American should be concerned about what's happening right now, Ben. Uh, this is something that's bigger than Democrats versus Republicans. What we're seeing here is about the powerful elite in this country using their power to try to silence and control us. Uh, what is so dangerous about this situation is we have the attorney general essentially weaponizing our federal law enforcement agencies to intimidate and silence the American people, to try mm -hmm. to silence us into compliance, essentially. And, and the, the reality is that, as you know very well, whether we disagree or agree with each other, whether our speech is quiet or obnoxious, our, our speech is protected by the First Amendment. It's something that I, as a soldier and as a member of Congress, took an oath to support and defend the Constitution. And I may hate the speech that you say. I may completely disagree with it, but I will lay down my life to protect your right to say it. One of the things that concerns me so much about this particular moment, Tulsi, is that it's not necessarily about the people who you hear about getting into fights over this, who actually have to go to court and defend themselves. It's about all the people who stay quiet because of the forces of the elite, because of big tech, because of big government being potentially used against them. They essentially are quelled into silence because they don't want to be at the, at the end of that spear. And that's why it's so important for us to stand up, to speak out, to fight back, to take a stand for our freedoms. Uh, the kind of action that we are seeing from Attorney General Garland, it makes our country look more and more like we're moving to a police state rather than being the land of the free. And so now is not the time to allow them to intimidate us into silence. Now is the time that we, the American people, really must take this stand for each other, for our civil liberties, for our freedoms, because unfortunately those who are in power, those who are supposed to be leading our country, rather than upholding our civil liberties and freedoms, these kinds of actions are violating and infringing upon them. I know that you in Congress were one of the major voices pushing back against the assumption that we should just take for granted that our nation's intelligence, security and uh, law enforcement communities, that they just were you know, places that we should trust automatically. You wanted to see them have more oversight and more transparency uh, because you felt that we needed to be more skeptical. That's not been something that I think traditional, traditionally a lot of Republicans listen to, but a lot more of them are listening to it now. What are some of the steps that we can take to have more confidence that we won't see a situation where things like the Department of Justice are being turned against our own law-abiding citizens? Well, when you hear so easily in this specific example, the counterterrorism division of our government, the national security branch being invoked to target everyday Americans, to target these parents who, because they care so much for their children, are going and speaking out at these uh, Board of Education meetings. When you see this happening, it should be a, a red flag being waved to every single person about the danger of these uh, provisions that were passed in the Patriot Act after 9-11 to specifically go after al-Qaeda, the jihadist terrorists who attacked us on that day, now being redirected towards our neighbors, our friends, those in our community, our fellow Americans. And so we can only put a stop to this by continuing to shine a light on it, by holding lawmakers accountable so that these policy changes uh, are made, so that these provisions in the Patriot Act are revoked. This is what I was working on in Congress, and we're seeing now exactly why it's so important. Congresswoman, thank you so much for taking the time to join me tonight. Thank you.
Tulsi Gabbard, that is a take. I can get behind and support. Hope you guys take her words into heavy consideration. I hope I'm getting through. I hope I'm getting through. I hope I'm barging in to a little bit of your mental space with these ideas and themes. I and many like me are just trying to help. We're just trying to get, you know, we're trying to get smart. And through our desire to get smart, hopefully you, the listener, can get smart a little bit too. I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm not telling you what to think. I'm just presenting my intellectual curiosity through the research and reading that I've done on certain topics in my life. And I've chosen to share it with you, my fellow Americans. It's scary. I know. It's it's it's. It's a very scary prospect, some of this stuff. When you really start thinking about it, it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to lose faith, right? I've been over it on the show before. I'm trying to keep the faith. I'm trying to believe in my fellow men and women. But it's hard when you guys are locked, plugged into the matrix, walking around this fantasy world, paying attention to the show 24 hours a day, seven days a week, telling you what's cool, telling you what's not cool, telling you who's bad, telling you who's good, telling you what's uh, the hot things to buy, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, consume, consume, consume. Just keep spending that money, that hard-earned money. We're going to keep taking your buying power away. We're going to keep making everything more and more expensive until one day you guys are going to wake up and you're already going to live in a communist country a totalitarian dictatorship because ever since world war ii they've been slowly introducing their socialism a little bit here a little bit there now all of a sudden very soon it's going to be everywhere universal this universal that who's gonna pay for it right you really think the government wants to take care of you? You really think the track record of the people in the big club, the big decision maker, world planner, multi-millionaire, billionaire, trillionaire, rich council of a few hundred, aristocrats, bourgeoisie that run this world, you think that they give a shit about you, my fellow Americans? When are you going to realize that the only way out is through, Right? You can't run away. You can't hide. You got to face the realities of this world courageously, willingly. It's the only way we're going to make any progress in any positive direction. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. A world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be. We have a real chance at this new world order, an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order, 
an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. And my fellow Americans, like I say in episode one, who are these UN founders whose promise and vision are going to be realized? Small group of people having a vision for a new world order straight from George H.W. Bush's own mouth. I'm not making this shit up. People, thank you for listening. I love you very much. This has been episode 71 of the Politics and Punk Rock podcast entitled No End In Sight. And until we all look in the mirror and face and accept the realities of this world, and the realities of who we are and what our purpose in this world is, then all this bullshit will continue. What you allow is what will continue, and there will be no end in sight. Ever. Send me an email, andrew4american1984 at gmail.com. Visit the website, politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com. Buy a t-shirt or donate to the show. Uh, Start looking for me on all of your favorite social media platforms out there. Make sure you're listening to all of these podcasters that I've been plugging and talking about on my show. They are also wealths of very interesting, important information that will help you on your quest as you seek truth and as you move ever closer on your quest from ignorance towards wisdom, knowledge, and absolute truth. I love you guys. Thank you. Good night. We'll see you next time. This has been episode 71 of the Politics and Punk Rock Entitled No End In Sight. We'll see.